Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to episode 61 of the Morning Round Trip Podcast here on the morning of September 9th. My name is Drew Frank, joined by my co-host Liam Crothers. Hello and good morning. And as we mentioned yesterday, today we celebrate Roberto Clemente Day, a guy who was, of course, great on the field, but did all sorts off the field in his direct involvement in his community and the community around him, and his indirect involvement of inspiring a whole generation of Latin American players. Today we'll see all players on the Pirates team and coaching staff wearing number 21, and many Puerto Rican players around the MLB also wearing 21 as the league as a whole tries to honor the legacy he left behind. I don't think his impact on the game can be understated. A tremendous ball player, but a tremendous humanitarian as well, and an ambassador for the game, no doubt. And unfortunately, we have to follow that up with all sorts of negative injury news because the top story from yesterday was Max Fried heading to the 10-day IL with muscle spasms in his lumbar spine. And I'm no doctor, but I know you don't want to mess around with the spine, so we don't know necessarily how long this injury will keep Fried out. But as of now... He won't be pitching, and this is a staff that's lost Soroka, and they didn't get what they wanted out of Fulton Nevich, and Cole Hamels is hurt as well, Felix Hernandez opted out, just problem after problem. They've got Tommy Malone now, he's their their stopgap, but they've got so many, so many pitching problems that I don't know what the front office can even be thinking right now after you lose Freed as well. The good news for the Atlanta Braves is that Cole Hamels has been progressing and every day he gets a little bit closer, it seems, to rejoining the Braves at the major league level. But uh, in a situation like this with Max Fried, the back is something that you never want to mess with, especially with a pitcher because it's so critical to the movement and being able to deliver pitches accurately and generating power with the legs and really everything that goes into it. So it's unfortunate that they've almost lost every single piece of what their starting rotation could have been at the start of the year. But uh, I think they'll find a way to power through here because you have to. It's a competitive division and you can't afford to drop games. Alex Anthopoulos did mention that they are optimistic that there'll be a short-term injury. And hopefully he's back for playoffs, of course. And the best of three aces are going to be so important. So hopefully he can come back. But the Braves weren't done because they made a couple roster moves. Adding Kyle Wright, who ended up going last night to not much success. But they need to create another roster spot besides free to the IL. So they DFA'd Charlie Culberson. Bit of a surprising move just because he's a guy that has been so valuable for this team playing all around the field. Utility guy, pretty solid with the glove and on the base paths. I could see him being a valuable addition to a contender out there. The rest of our news comes from the central divisions across baseball and a lot of it in the NL. We'll start off with the Brewers where Corey Knable is being activated from the 10th AIL. 2020 didn't start off great for him. He only pitched seven and two thirds before he got hurt. He gave up seven runs in that span. Problems with walks, problem with home runs. ERA not great. FIP even worse just because of those issues that he's had. But 2017 really wasn't that long ago where he had a sub two ERA in 76 appearances. Obviously, he's not in that same form. Something's not right. But for the Brewers, a team that's really trying to maintain their spot in the Central and push for one of those top two spots, he could be a helpful addition. 
Getting Corey Knebel back is definitely going to be a solid option out of that bullpen for the Milwaukee Brewers because not only does he have the potential to maybe figure out some of those things during this time off and work his way back to that form he had a couple of years ago, but it also takes some of the pressure off of Josh Hader and Devin Williams, who have been a tremendous one-two punch out of the bullpen. It gives you maybe a middle relief guy. It gives you a guy who can eat up some innings when those two have pitched the day before and you want to rest those arms. So getting Knebel back is definitely going to help them out. The Cubs were also busy with transactions, mentioned that they claimed Billy Hamilton from the Mets, but to activate him, they sent down Jose Martinez, their recent trade deadline acquisition. Billy Hamilton, obviously his bat isn't his trait that's going to get him onto a roster, but he was just 1 for 22 with the Mets at the plate. He's going to be replacing Jose Martinez, who was okay to start the season out with the Rays, but really really hasn't gotten it going for the Cubs. He's 0 for 14 so far with them. And the reason they made this move was because David Ross says he wanted to get Martinez regular at-bats to get his timing down, get things back to normal. But with how he was struggling, he couldn't get him that at the major league level. So he goes down to the alternate site and in his place, Billy Hamilton, a guy that can give this Cubs team some speed and play defense, as we saw yesterday. The first time he was activated, the very same day, comes in and plays three innings defensively in the outfield. Jose Martinez hasn't been doing it with the bats, so I think it's fine substituting him out for Billy Hamilton, a guy who gives you more speed and more defense in the outfield uh, and allows you to grab some bases on the base pads, even though the Cubs aren't necessarily a team that is known for sending the runners when they're on base. Um, I think it's a good move to send Jose Martinez down to sort of figure out his timing, and eventually I expect to see him called back up. Cardinals make a similar move, sending down another left fielder that wasn't hitting as Dylan Carlson heads to the alternate site, slashing just 162-215-243 through his first 79 plate appearances. That's not great, but they similarly said they wanted to get him playing time to straighten things out, and as things are going, he wasn't going to be getting much more playing time in the majors, so he goes to the alternate site. He's going to get a chance to get the reps in. We saw a couple big bats that were opening day stars for two teams that will no longer be in the lineup. Kansas City puts Jorge Soler on the 10-day IL, of course, a very powerful right-handed bat. The reigning AL home run champion, we hope to see him back sometime soon because we know that Royals team has been playing a great spoiler role in that central. And Cincinnati DFA's Matt Davidson, a guy that they kind of picked up for relatively cheap, but he was their opening day DH in that sixth slot, struggled a little bit, didn't hit lefties as well as they thought, and as a result, he has been DFA'd. Earlier on, I mentioned Kyle Wright didn't have his stuff going for him yesterday. He went into a game against the Miami Marlins with a 7.2 ERA, and unfortunately for him, he raised that number. Pretty tough to do, but he managed. He went four innings, allowing seven hits and two walks, totaling for five earned runs allowed. He did strike out four batters, but he allowed three home runs, and in this mess of a game, it finishes 8 nothing for Miami. 
We know that Kyle Wright got tagged early as Matt Joyce started things off with a home run in the top of the second inning. And as no one could touch Sixto Sanchez, that would be all they really needed. Of course, they did add seven more runs, but Sixto Sanchez, of course, a very talented rising young pitcher. He goes six shutout innings with just three hits and one walk. Well, he strikes out six. He has looked so good because a big problem that you see with these young pitchers, sure, he hit 101. Sure, he is a very electric changeup with a ton of late break, but his command has just been next level and something you don't see from these young pitchers that come up. That walk yesterday, only his second walk in 25 innings pitched so far. He just looks way more complete than I would have expected. Yeah, and Sixto Sanchez, a big contributor to the reason why these Braves bats scuffled. Ronald Acuna Jr. goes 0 for 4, and he strikes out three times. And Dansby Swanson, one of the other bats that you look to rely on when guys like Acuna aren't producing, he goes 0 for 3 with two strikeouts and a walk. Uh, The entire team was just a combined 4 for 31 with 10 strikeouts to just two walks. So, not only struggling against Sixto Sanchez, but struggling against the Marlins bullpen as well. Um, with no run production, this game was over pretty early, but Garrett Cooper and Jorge Alfaro both contribute with home runs in this one. A really complete performance from the Miami Marlins, both offensively and defensively. And if you're the Atlanta Braves, man, another poor start from Kyle Wright. I mean, when do the questions start to pop up, right? Because we, we've we seen him struggle early on, and then we saw him optioned to try to figure out some of the things that were going wrong for him. Uh, a first-round pick back in 2017, now is about the time you'd hope that that pick would begin to produce at the major league level, and just so far on the year, he hasn't been able to do that. Well, the problem with the Atlanta, you don't really have many other options. We've talked about their injury problems, the lack of success they've had with a couple pitchers. I think you've just got to hope things turn around, and I mentioned hope Freed won't be hurt for too long. But for the Marlins, I mean, if you aren't in on Sixto Sanchez yet, you've got to open your eyes quickly. This guy, his stuff is electric. If you look at this baseball savant repertoire, his most comparable pitchers in terms of stuff. Luis Casillo, Dustin May, Jacob deGrom, and Corbin Burns are the top four. Those are all very established pitchers with electric stuff. A common theme between them are the hard fastball and the very powerful changeup. And the fifth guy he's compared to is Spencer Turnbull, who was in action last night as well and pretty successful against the Brewers. He goes six scoreless innings with just three hits allowed. Walks three, strikes out three, but he was good, and he was limiting base runners. He stranded Ben Gamble on third base in the first inning, stranded Narvaez on third base in the third inning, and didn't allow anyone else to get that far for the rest of the game. He was very strong. Detroit goes on to win this one 8-3, and really, a lot of that came just because the bats got hot in a very explosive fifth inning appearance. Yeah, and that fifth inning really powered the Tigers to their W in this one. That fifth inning saw two walks and five singles in that inning. No single big hit there. No extra base hit there. And the Tigers were able to bat around as 10 men came to the plate. Bit of a sour note in that inning as Jonathan Scope ended up getting hit on the hand with a pitch and had to leave the game. So the Tigers hope that there's nothing negative coming out of that 
hit by pitch, but I mean, the rest of the inning, very, very solid. Just a whole lot of solid approach at the plate. Like I said, the two walks and five singles with no extra base hits. It just means that guys are looking for a pitch to hit, putting solid contact on the ball, putting it in the field, and, you know, they're able to produce those runs. Um, You look at Adrian Hauser in this one, I don't think he pitched all that poorly to start out things, but that fifth inning was definitely his downfall. He goes four and two thirds, allows four hits, five earned runs, although only two of those were his fault and three of those were inherited in that fifth inning. He also walked two and struck out six. One of those situations where the Tigers were able to get out in front with a really big inning and never really looked back from there. Uh, Jamie Candelario contributes with a two-run home run in the seventh. Now, Milwaukee did end up having the tying run on deck in the bottom of the ninth after scoring three in the top of the ninth. But, you know, they weren't ever really threatening. Their hits didn't look all that impressive. It didn't really look like they were going to put anything up past those three runs. I was surprised that they got three runs anyways. Uh, A solid performance from Spencer Turnbull and then closed out by the bullpen. And although this game finished 8-3 for Detroit, Milwaukee actually out-hit the Tigers, putting up 10 hits to the Tigers' 8. And if you look at the expected batting average, there was even more of a disparity. As the raw numbers predicted, the Tigers to have a 236 expected batting average to Milwaukee's 342 mark. So this game ultimately... As you mentioned, decided by a very strong appearance by Spencer Turnbull and clutch hitting by the Tigers to string together a bunch of hits in a row. But maybe for Milwaukee, you've got some things you could look at here and not be too, too discouraged. Now, in the final game that we're going to talk about, which was actually the first one that took place yesterday, Oakland and Houston started a doubleheader, and we looked at game one between Frankie Montes and Zach Greinke. This was another weird game where the home team was playing in the Visitor's Park because of, you know, canceled games, rescheduling, all of that stuff. And Houston dropped this game 4-2. to two. And temporarily, they were pushed to a six-game losing streak, but they came right back and won the second half to split the doubleheader, even things up a little bit. They won that one by a score of 5-4. to four. But in the first half, we saw Zach Greinke looking good early on and didn't allow a hit until the third inning. But in that third inning, Chris Davis, the first hit of the game was a home run. They would add on a second run early to make it 2-0. And Frankie Montes, on the other side of things, looked very strong, going five innings of six-hit ball. In the very, very end of his starts, in the bottom of the fifth, he gave up two runs to a Michael Brantley two-run shot to tie it 2-2. But Zach Granke would give him two runs right back as a rally in the sixth would be the end of the scoring in this game, and Oakland took it 4-2. Not the typical start we're used to from Zach Granke as the seven hits and four runs against definitely isn't the pace that he's been keeping so far on the year. But in this game, we do see Zach Greinke move into 25th all-time in strikeouts. But Greinke's not really a guy who celebrates personal accolades, as after the game he was asked about the Astros' recent stretch of play, and he said, quote, It doesn't matter. Everyone makes the playoffs. We'll be all right still. If we don't make the playoffs, we didn't deserve to make the playoffs. Zach Greinke's one of those guys who's very, I guess, black and white, not only in pitching, but also in uh, the scope of the season. As you mentioned, Houston did end up taking the second half of this doubleheader to snap a very brief six-game losing streak, so the road team takes both games in this doubleheader. 
And speaking of the rogue teams, we've heard the Yankees voicing a little bit of complaints about their trip to Buffalo, not liking the lighting setup at Salem Field, having some issues there, pitchers mentioning that they can't see the catcher signs too, too well. They lose another game yesterday, not because of their pitching, but because their bats were quieted as the Blue Jays beat them 2-1 and the Yankees fall to 500. Baltimore is just a half game back of New York and Detroit just one game back for the second wildcard. Voigt said after the game that he feels teams aren't really scared of them right now. It's kind of a sad thing, he said, because we're the New York Yankees and we're favorites to probably win the division this year. Of course, that has quickly slipped away. They've now lost five in a row and 15 of their last 20. And that's where we'll start with our predictions today as Toronto looks to sweep the New York Yankees tonight at 7.10 p.m. Eastern. But they go up against Davey Garcia, a guy they haven't seen yet. He's making just his third MLB start, a 5'9", hard-throwing right-handed pitcher, going up against Tanner Roark, who is just about the opposite, hasn't had a ton of success so far in the year. Do you think New York salvages a game, or do you think that the young, unproven Garcia will drop the third game and receive a sweep? Now, we've mentioned that the New York Yankees pitchers haven't enjoyed the, I guess, quadruple A quality of the lighting at Salem Field, but Davey Garcia is a guy who spent quite a lot of time in the minors, and he hasn't really adjusted to major league lighting, if you want to make that argument. So I think it's possible that Davey Garcia is able to power the Yankees to salvage a game in this series against Toronto and try to maintain pace in that American League East. I'll take Toronto in this one just to split the predictions. I didn't necessarily see them winning the first two games, despite the struggles of the Yankees. They're still very talented on paper, but it's hard to argue against a team that has been so successful of late as Toronto has and a team that's been so cold of late as New York has. So I'll take Toronto there. And we look at the other New York team facing another American League East team that's been surging as of late. Baltimore beat them badly last night, but the Mets are back in action, trying to take the second of two games and split the miniseries against the Orioles. For the Mets, it's Rick Porcello hosting the Orioles and Jorge Lopez, who they acquired from the Royals earlier on in the year. They go tonight at 7.10 p.m. Eastern. I've got to go with the Mets here. On paper, I like them so much better. But Baltimore has got all sorts of motivation, as I mentioned, just a half game back of New York now. I think I go with the Mets in this one as well. Uh, Rick Porcello has definitely figured things out in his last few starts. And Jorge Lopez is unproven against these Mets batters. So it'll be interesting to see what they see out of his hand in this game for the first time for a lot of these guys. I think Porcello, if he can put things together, he's going to give the Mets a chance to take this game in flushing. And finally, this is a matchup we've talked about a couple times already. The schedule has just happened to bless us with it once more. As Bauer takes on Hugh Darvish as the Reds and Cubs go back at it again. Bauer, strong to start a season, very strong, struggled a little bit of late. We know this Reds team has had historically bad BABIP, but they've seen Darvish a few times now. They've got all the motivation in the world to try and compete because this team has underperformed and underperformed all year long. I think the Reds take it, and it's not because I think Darvish is going to be poor per se, but this team needs to win games. 
You mentioned that the Reds might have a little bit of familiarity with you, Darvish, but the same can be said for the Chicago Cubs. Anthony Rizzo took Trevor Bauer deep twice the last time the Cubs played against him. And with you, Darvish, rocking that 7-1 and record on the year with a 1.44 ERA, he's been, honestly, one of the best pitchers in baseball. I know better than to doubt you at this point, and I think the Cubs take this one over the Reds. Well, that'll do it for our show today. You can find us show on Twitter at Trip Morning, and you can find us on Instagram at Morning Round Trip. But for Drew Frank and Liam Crothers, thank you for listening, and have a great day.